Okay, well, welcome everyone to the Self Preservation Five podcast. I am so excited to have all of you here with us. The reason why we're doing this is because when we have the instinct plus the type, we have this thing called the subtype and it looks different. So even if I had a self-pres five in the room along with a sexual five and a social five, which you would notice are some similarities, but you would also notice some distinct differences. And that's what we hope to get into a little bit more today with you. And so as we begin, would you first introduce yourself and tell us where you're from? Hi, I'm Laura and I'm from Rome, Georgia. I'm Dana and I am from Lodi, Wisconsin, near the Madison area. I'm Kevin. I'm from Paoli, Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Philadelphia. And I'm Dave from Beverly, just north of Boston. Okay, wonderful. Well, welcome. You know, we're talking about the type five, the instinct being the dominant instinct being the self-preservation instinct. So when we think of the five, we think of sort of the core need of the five being to be resourced, to feel like you have enough to meet a, a demanding world, and also to keep what you have. That oftentimes there's always, a, there's a sense of like, what I have keeps being pulled out of me and I'm trying to hold on to it. So how does that need, the core need for being resourced uh, and to face a world that feels like it's demanding. How's that interplay with that instinct, uh, the self-preservation instinct, and particularly this first category, which has to do with health and wellness? To my mind, I would think that kind of pushes it forward a little bit in some regards, because you might want to be preserving some of that. You know, you're taking care of your, your health and wellness, but talk to me about how that plays itself out for you. I find that I have to do a lot of self-preservation of my what I call my mental or my creative energy. I feel like a lot of the daily living, just the daily tasks to function, take a lot of that out of me. And so I like to, like, I'm really trying to hold on to mental energy to do the, the other things like artwork or writing or other things that I do in the creative realm so that I'm not physically and mentally exhausted by the time I get to them. So that, that, that's probably the biggest challenge that I have. Mm. I agree with that. I do find myself trying to maintain that mental, that emotional kind of energy. But when I was thinking about this earlier, um, I think this is almost one of my blind spots kind of within self-pres or that my fiveness kind of bumps up against this because that need to hold on to stuff, I find that I can have like a fear of being hungry or a fear of depletion that can actually act against maybe where I should be maybe eating healthier or doing more exercise. It's more of a withdrawing from that. Like, Oh, that's going to take too much out of me, or I'm not going to have enough if I go down that road. And so those two can be in conflict. Yes. I want to be healthy because that also gives me energy, but reaching that goal can be a conflict with my fiveness of needing to preserve. That is interesting. I love how you've, you've, you've put that. I want to explore that a little bit, but I'd love to hear from the other two. I, I really resonated with that because I know very well what healthy choices I need to make, what choices I need to make for wellness, but I get overwhelmed with them and, mm. and I want to give up. I mean, there are like certain triggers. I have ways of reminding myself, if I do this, it will keep me sort of balanced so that I can sort of go through life normally without completely withdrawing and, and giving in to whatever. Mm. 
I become much too reliant on easy foods because they're not going to take enough energy from me. They're not usually even going to take as much money. <laughs> so all of those, fewer of those resources are used in those easier foods. But then the backside of it is that it does have a depletion of my health and energy long-term. Mm. Yeah, I'd resonate with that too. I mean, one, I hate shopping for one. And even though I, I like the idea of cooking, it is a drain on resources. Like it's time I'd rather be doing or should be doing something else. Um, so my refrigerator is is next to empty and my my cupboards are next to bare because I basically buy almost essentially what I need for the week, maybe a little bit more on a more minimalist side of, of things. But I, I would say even as far as reliance or the self-preservation part of it or the being resourced, I think I can take care of myself fine on my own and get highly annoyed when doctors try to tell me to do things or, or this or that, because one, I, sometimes I think I know <laughs> they do about, about myself at least, but, you know, I question whether things are necessary for, for me to do if they, if they want to do that. So I tend to have a tenuous relationship with my physicians. So mm. It, what's interesting about this category, health and wellness, and the instinct, the self-preservation instinct, is that it is it is very much in the physical, material world. That goes into the five who is a head type. <laughs> so there's some interesting kind of dynamic there because there's the need to feel resourced, and that tends to be more of an intellectual head to heart versus, say, you know, in the physical dimension. So I can hear that as you're talking about health and wellness and caring about your health and wanting to be okay, but then also, oh, man, that's going to that's gonna take time from things. It's going to take energy. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about this next category, which is material possessions. So money, resources, food, this is the one that is about having enough. So I'm curious about this one, obviously, having enough and then playing off of the um, or interacting with the core need of the five. For me, it's kind of a weird, almost a dichotomy between, you know, not having the feeling of sometimes not being resourced enough or not having enough to do the things that I want to do. And, and so I, I will hold off on doing those things. But then there's the other side later on in life, I've, I've learned to be more content with, you know, less, in other words, giving up all the, all the stuff that I collected, the, the CDs, the books and the musical gear and, and, and stuff that was like cluttering up my old condo. And it was just, it just wasn't a fun place to live in terms of finances. There's always been a struggle with, with how much is, is enough for me to actually relax and enjoy life versus like constantly having to work to, to make sure that I have enough. And of course, having that means, you know, I'm trying to resource for something by, by getting that gadget or that, that next thing I'm trying to learn more the new book or, you know, things like that. It's interesting you bring that up about clutter because that's been a big thing in my life over the past few years. Several years ago, I went through just a kind of a giant decluttering of our home. Mm -hmm. And it was so therapeutic in some ways because when there's less around, then there's less to just have to worry about and take care mm -hmm. of. And I'm trying to get up the energy <laughs> to do that again because over the past few years, you know, you start to accumulate again. And you just look around and it's like, this is too much. I mean, it's one thing to have enough, 
but then it becomes a burden after a certain point. It's just like, okay, this is draining my energy in a whole new way to just have this stuff everywhere and to have to have to get rid of that. So yeah, it was interesting that you brought that up. But when you're talking about finances, when I was thinking about kind of how my self-pres comes up with that, especially with large purchases, like I can lose track of money with the little small nickel and dime kind of things, but it takes a lot for me to make a big purchase, a house, a, a, well, <laughs> That's a whole other funny story, but like a car, a a furniture, those kinds of things. I will go and sit on those couches. I don't know how many times until I finally decide to buy them, right? Because I want to know that they are going to last, that they're going to be worth the money that we're putting into it, that I'm not going to have to replace them again in the next year. If I'm going to invest this money in here, I want to know that there's a good return on that investment. It's one thing to make little fun purchases, but those big things really matter to me. And I don't like debt. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. kind of a part of life sometimes, but I find I don't even like contracts. Like we've been with the same cell phone company for, I don't know how long, have no desire to really change, but I don't want to sign another contract with them because then you're just locked in. So I don't know if that's five or self-praise wow. or just me, but no, I, thing. I, I love <laughs> I'm seeing lots of head nodding here. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. I agree a lot with what Laura and David have said, like even in my own house, I do have this tendency to accumulate little little things. Like I really like books and I literally like, like quirky things we find at antique stores. So I slowly accumulate them and bring them home. And I create little worlds in different places. Mm. And then I get frustrated with them because like Laura said, now I got to take care of that space. And now I got to clean that space. Well, that's a real pain in the rear end. So (laughs) then I'll go through and I'll clear everything out. So I get everything back to an austere level. Mm. Now I can breathe again. And then slowly I start bringing all these little things back in and it's like, now it's a chore. How do I simplify? How do I do that? But I also agree with the, the money and the contract thing. Like I will go buy a latte without thinking about it because that's my little treat. And I don't know what the magic dollar amount is, but I really start thinking, I don't know if it's like 50 or a hundred dollars. Like, do I really need that? Do we really need to get that new car? Like, aren't these dishes just fine? And so that's actually one of the, you know, cruxes I have with my husband, who's much more relaxed about those things. I'm like, I love these plates. I got them at Goodwill for $2 a piece or whatever. And he's like, I hate them. They're old. (laughs) Like it was a good deal. Yeah. I identify a lot with what's been said here. And and, and again, for me, it, it goes back. I used the word balance before, and I guess it's it's a consciousness trying to trying to bring a consciousness to the choices that I make. And what I find is I, I tilt one way or the other. I'm either like hoarding a lot of stuff or I'm getting rid of it all without any sort of paying attention to what I really uh, might need. And I try to find ways in my life to give myself some awareness. Like when we were talking in the in the previous question, you know, one of my issues with healthy eating is, yeah, it, it takes time to eat healthy. You know, I, I try to remind myself, you know, it's a spiritual practice to put in the time to prepare a healthy meal. Mm. It's a spiritual practice to put in the time mm. to read a, a good book or something like that, you know, mm. I, I, but I have to almost write it down 
to remind myself, okay, here's where you need to go. This is the way you need to think. I'm just, I'm not good at, at regulating it for myself. The same thing is true with, with money. Years ago, I, I had a credit card debt problem. And I realized in, in answering these questions for myself, that it was really a part of the same thing. I didn't want to know where my limitations were. So I had this credit card that had Lots of free money in it. Now, it turned out it wasn't all that free. So I would just spend and spend and spend and eventually paid it off. Now I'm like on the other side of that. I'm more like Laura. You know, I'm much more watchful probably than I, I have any right to be for my family. But hmm. just that trying to figure out a way to keep balance in my life. Yeah. Oh, man, you've given me some gems here and I want to go chase them all. Wow. Fascinating how I can see the... Uh, you know, what's described sometimes is the detachment that some fives will have when fives are unaware of themselves, a sort of detachment. Like I don't want anything to have any grips on me and I want my freedom, right? So that kind of distancing from things, but at the same time, the self-preservation instinct, which says, but you need, you need to have stuff. And so you'll go and collect. And then after that, go to the other side, which is like, no, get rid of all the stuff. It's become attached to me and I'm indebted to it, or I have to maintain it, take care of it and, and then get rid of it. So I love all that, how that's playing itself out and you're expressing how that happens and then bringing some consciousness to it. And Kevin, what you're talking about with like bringing awareness and consciousness to your, your movements in life, I think is, is really, really great. And I also loved how you brought in Dana, some of that, like even eccentricities that some fives will have, like looking for things that are still a little unconventional things, you know, like I want to, I want to buy something that's not trendy, not everybody's like looking for that. And having worlds, that's really fascinating. I'd love to explore that if we had time, but like looking at what is that like for you in your space when you're creating that? Because to some dimension, that also fits with the whole nest. So we'll get to that in a moment. But like, maybe you can ex explain a little bit more what you mean by that, having worlds within and what that does for you. So actually, let's do that right now. Let's just jump in and, and talk a little bit about that. And of course, we can come back to resources and health and, and wellness. But yeah, let's talk about the nest and how that plays itself out for you, the home, the space. So you were talking about Dana creating worlds in that. And so maybe say a little bit more about what that, what that's like for you. Sure. So for me, um, I define and look for my nest to be very comfortable, soft, warm, cozy. And like each room in our house has a dis <laughs> distinct purpose. Like the bedroom is the bedroom. I want really soft bed. I want soft covers. I want soft everything. No TV. TV does not belong in the bedroom. Uh, my office space, like this is my office space. You can't see a lot of it, but it's been very carefully plotted out so that when I'm working on different things, I feel comfortable. I feel calm, not anxious in the space that I create. And I literally create not like dioramas, but like my bookshelves, every shelf will have some kind of theme that makes sense to me. And then when I collect little things, they all kind of go into this little theme and I create these little things and like literally little worlds. <laughs> and for some reason I find comfort in them because I feel like maybe it's a control thing. Here's the space that I created. It's mine. Might not make any sense to anybody else. Here it is. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Don't move things. And if you take something, put it back. So there's a lot of that for me. Like mm. very much, I want comfort, soft, cozy, 
warm. Like I want to wrap myself up in a blanket in my entire space. Mm, mm. It's funny because I think my dad, who's a five, I don't know his instincts, which one's dominant for him, but boy, he had his room. It was like, if I moved one of his stacks, he had these stacks of coins. And if I moved one of them, he knew, and it would drive him nuts. Like, you know, you just touch. (laughs) So I'm, I'm reminded of that. Yes. Yes. We know. (laughs) And when you're not looking, we nudge it back. (laughs) (laughs) So I like how you had themes. You say like different shelves have themes. Dave, you had a massive CD collection. I know this because we're friends, but did you have any sort of themes and kind of arrangement to your collections of any kind? I I would try to do it alphabetically. So I I mean, it was just easier to, to locate things. But I would def- I would definitely sometimes do like here's the jazz, you know, all the jazz CDs together, all the classical CDs together, all the you know sort of rock and and stuff like that together. Those are monumental tasks. Like when you're trying to like add new stuff to like a big rack, rack you'd have to like take like ten from here and shove them over there, and then slide everything over. And, and you know, I would do that, but um, but I didn't I didn't create worlds in terms of my space it's pretty austere i've been in my current place for two and a half years now i think or three years and i have yet to hang anything on the wall i I just got a couple pieces of furniture finally other than the rocking chair and the tv and i need to move the tv out of the bedroom (laughs) it's 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 not helping me sleep (laughs) yeah so the home may not be, again, when we talk about the instinct and the one that is more dominant for you, um, there's sort of three aspects underneath each of them or three subcategories. Do We don't assume that you have all three in equal measure. There's usually two that are really pretty strong. And then there's a third one that's eh, not as not as strong. But uh, for you, Dave, it doesn't sound like maybe the nest is would be one of your um, strongest uh, but I'm reminded of the area of resources. I mean, for you, you've done quite a bit of work with talking about debt and getting out of debt and you know and all that. So you've had a lot of focus on money management. You do a lot of that for organizations. So there's an attention for you that tends to go towards good management, smart management, which is one of the keys of the, the resource component that we're talking about earlier is that of smart management. Like there's a way I know how to do this. And there's a confidence that tends to come from that. So. And, and there's, there's a willingness to give up something now or do with much less now, knowing that it's going to allow me to have or be uh, resourced in the future um, mm. without having to work as hard. Yeah, yeah. You know what David just said about giving up something for later on, that makes me think about how I think of my home. I want to own my home, but I don't want it to own me. Hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I I get a little concerned when I have a whole lot I've got to do. We, we moved over the last year from a home that was over a hundred years old, had all sorts of problems. I mean, it, uh, too many for me to handle into a townhome. And I've never lived in a townhome before, but I, I, I took one walk through it and I thought, wow, I, I really like this. You know, I can lock and leave. I can, I can close the door and walk out and, and go on to other things and be involved in other things, but I don't have a big yard or a big garden or anything. You know, you still need to do the sort of basic stuff, painting walls and all that. But I feel like the home is not demanding of me as much. Mm. And that's freeing up time to do other things that I've been wanting to do. I and mean, that's really been a big plus for me. Mm. Mm. 
Home and nest is by far the biggest one of these categories for me. I remember even when I was very young, even inside our house, I mean, I had my own bedroom, but I still had other places. I remember around like the attic steps would go up there and I would hang out just in that little spot because even my bedroom sometimes felt a little too open to everybody else. And so, Mm -hmm. but I could go up there by myself or there'd be a tree in the front yard that I'd climb up into that nobody else was going to be bothering me in. And so here as an adult, you know, now my whole house is kind of that. I mean, I share it with my husband and two kids, but my office is actually in a very large, pretty large room and I homeschool the kids. So all that's going on in here too. But like, I've got two monitors in front of me because I I teach online. So I'm right here a lot, but I've got that. It's kind of blocking me off. I kind of have a square over here. That's just mine, but my home, I mean, I'm just very protective of it. I mean, I have, I've joked at one time that if you come in my front door, you might as well crawl in the bed with me. I mean, it's that kind of not in like a sexual way, but that (laughs) level of intimacy. Once you have come into my house, you are totally, you are so in my space. So in my domain that it almost wouldn't be any different than if we just had to spend the night party right here. I mean, it's just, it's that kind of level. So you know, I'm trying to get better at that, but I'm not a natural hospitality, have people over kind of person, unless I know well in advance, I know who's coming, I know how long they're going to stay, I'm in charge of what we're going to serve, all of that kind of stuff, because this is my space. When I come out to your space, then I'll be on your time, your terms and there, but this, mm-hmm. it's my castle. <laughs> it's your castle, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really funny when she said she squared off a corner of the big room. I realized I did that at work. I must have moved part of the nest at work. So we used to have a big open space and I didn't like it. And so I literally took our desks and now I have a corner and like behind these two spaces is mine. And I never really thought about it as claiming territory or I don't know. But then what someone walked into it one time because he's trying to grab a stapler and I was all like, Oh, <laughs> what are you doing back here? Cause I've had made it my own. <laughs> Yeah. Is that a um, part of the privacy, the need for privacy for you as a five or does it play on something else? Um, is it more of the instinct? What's what's happening there for you when you're sort of blocking yourself off? Um, you know, I think it is the privacy. I don't like feeling exposed uh, in certain situations. I, sometimes I'm fine with it and sometimes I'm not. But at work, because it's where I work, it's not a natural environment for me to be in. And so I think I am trying to create, like, this is just my safe zone. Mm. Um, I'm kind of blocked off a little bit. So maybe people can't see as much of me, therefore can't see my soul or something. It's just like, there's this little bit of me that's like, I need to create some kind of boundary here. Mm-hmm. And here it is <laughs> in this 90 degree shift of the space. Yeah. I think for me, it's it's not just physical privacy. It's like emotional privacy too, because I mean, my home, you know, I love color. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe in white walls. <laughs> so <laughs> these different things, but my, um, I remember my, my mother came into my house one time and one of the best compliments I've ever received, she said, that is such a Laura house. <laughs> and I love that. But I think that's also part of why I am hesitant of who's going to come in here. Mm-hmm. Who's going to see this because this is exposing who I am maybe more than I would normally show. Oh, okay. It's very interesting. 
yeah, your nest becomes somewhat of a representation of, of who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. With its mess and its color and everything that's going on in here yeah. <laughs> are things that maybe I don't want the whole world to know about. Yeah. One of the things I want to make sure for those of you who are listening is that while we have two males, two females here, it might sound like gender in, in terms of like, oh, there's a nest in the home. And then that that's not entirely true. We have uh, guys who are very much who are fives who are very much into their homes. Um, some I know and some are in the construction field and they love building homes and nests for other people. And they something that they care deeply about. So it depends. It depends upon this is just a representation here, not an example of the entirety of uh, ranges of all kinds of self-pressed fives. But what I I'd like to hear more about is in terms of the maybe expanding the idea of the nest and not just being the home. But do you have spaces? You know, one of the panels that we did recently, a self-pres panel said it's a bubble. I have a bubble, you know, and when I let someone into that bubble, it's because they've, you know, they've proven themselves or, you know, I trust them finally, but it takes a lot for them to get into my bubble. So do you have that? Do you have like a bubble for you, a place that you feel you can retreat to that tends to act like a home, even if it isn't your physical domain? Because I live alone. I live alone. That That's the primary thing is like nobody else is there. So that's, you know, the privacy thing. And, and it's not so much being private. It's just not having interruptions, you know, so I, I can focus, I can do what I want to do. Um, that also has its downsides because sometimes you need interruptions to kind of get you to eat once in a while or, or get some exercise or, or, you know, realize that it's, you know, 80 degrees out, like it was Saturday or whatever it was. And, uh, instead of sitting, you know, working all day and then going out at the end of the day, but, uh, I would say the only thing I would, I would consider that. And I, I don't get out there a lot just cause I, you know, it's one of those weird things that you, if you, if you don't plan it, like uh, Kevin would say, if you don't like put it on your schedule, you tend to not do it, but you know, being out in the woods, you know, is, is one of the things that I always loved as a kid. We grew up near the woods and I would just spend hours out there um, running around and, and I like going out mountain biking now and, and hiking, but I don't do it as often as I probably ought to, or, or would like to. Mm. Now, I think for, for me, and this is going to be very cliched, but, uh, I think my, my bubble is in my head, um, and that mm. I can be almost anywhere. And, uh, when I need to go into the world that's in my head, whichever world, one of the worlds, one of the many, many worlds in my head. And I go to that spot and, and um, I can be in public. I can be in my office. One of the things that makes me think about how that sort of is my nest is no matter what I'm doing in there, mm-hmm. if somebody walks up to me and disturbs it, I get irritated really quickly. Yeah. Uh, this is a point where I've, I'm really trying to grow in compassion because I'm like, I'm like rattled, physically rattled oh, yeah. for my headspace at the wrong time. Yeah. And it's yeah. really heck on my kids. <laughs> they don't know it, but it really is. Yeah. And this, by the way, showed up in the sexual five panel, which is fascinating, is that they said, yeah, I can be, you know, one of my places of, of getting away is actually the city, like being inside the city. They said, because I can sit there and I can observe and I'm in my world. I'm in my bubble. I'm comfortable in that space. Like, um, and that's a that's a unique feature of the five. Other types can do it too, but fives definitely can do it quite well. And head types in general, because that whole interruption and like I'm in a place that I'm 
you know, thinking and it's, it's pleasurable, it's enjoyable, and then get interrupted in that way can be very dis- disruptive. Well, let's look at the next instinct, which is your second. This is the one that functions somewhat neutrally, meaning that it doesn't create any significant problems for you. And it isn't something that you really get a whole lot of energy from or juice from. It's not something you you, you do for pleasure or for enjoyment. Talk to me about the second one. Which one is it for you? And how do you use it? For me, I believe my second one is the sexual or one-to-one. And in fact, for a while, I thought I might be a sexual five instead of a self-pressed five because from a very young age, I've kind of had this need for one other person, Um, whether it's a close friend, boyfriend, and now my husband, you know, just that one other person to be able to go on an adventure with or go to do something with or just to have that sense of, you know, I, I just need somebody with me. But I realize now that it's it's in service to that self-press, okay? That one oh, other person okay. helps me feel safe and secure. As mm-hmm. long as there's somebody else there with me, then we together can figure this out. We're going to be fine. And I will for sure go deep in a couple of friendships rather than shallow in a whole lot of different ones. I would rather have, I mean, when you were talking about the bubble earlier, I was thinking about, okay, well, it's kind of my my small group of friends, Hmm. Uh, they're very few. Uh, it's they're like layers of how much of me they know, yeah. <laughs> and that trust has to kind of be earned. Um, but once you get into that sort of inner circle, then I'll just share more about myself than you ever wanted to know. Hmm. Um, but <laughs> I think some people growing up. I mean, I I think about my mother. I love her. I don't know exactly what type she is, but I think she's probably either a three or a seven and probably a social. And so I don't think she ever has really understood that I am very content with just a few friends. Mm. You know, she's one of those never met a stranger can talk to anybody. And I admire that. There's sometimes I really wish I could be that way, but I am more of a, no, it's just going to be me and -and so-and-so and, or me and these two or three other people, but they know all about me and I know all about them. And Mm. that's good for me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. My secondary is social. And I I was going back and forth between social and self-pres. You know, as a pastor, you put on the clothes, you go out there, you do your thing. You're always engaging with people. That can make it look like I'm a I'm a social five, but I keep boomeranging back, I think, to self-pres. I do get some energy out of uh, the the social instinct. Um, What I find is I don't pine for that. Uh, hmm. I, I can I can get out there and teach the big Sunday school class or whatever, and I get joy out of it and I enjoy it. But when I get back to my office, I'm not really clamoring to do it again. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to protect myself again. Yeah, see, and I didn't tell you to say this. This is what's so fascinating about what we're doing. This is a research project for us. All these panels yeah. because we're not coaching anybody to say anything. And then when you just said that, that's a, that's what we're finding over and over again showing up through all the panels. And it's what I'm discovering in my own life. And I'm wording it that way. Like, it's funny that when you have this as your dominant instinct, it's like you can visit the second one, but it's not like it's you're dying to go there. It's, not like you, it's just you visit it and then you come back. So it's fascinating that you, you put it that way. Yeah. Thank you. Well, my second was social as well. And I was a little bit surprised. I'm a little bit different in Laura than I'm perfectly content being in my world by myself. So I've never felt a strong need to have another person like a mate or whatever. 
somehow I ended up with one <laughs> who's lovely, but it, it was a very different mentality for me. So I was a little surprised that I actually had social as my second ranking. And there's a little bit of a battle between it though. Cause it's like, Kevin just said, I don't mind going out and talking to people. It's going to be a one-on-one, especially if I'm talking to strangers, if I happen to chat up the person next to me in the grocery store, but that'll be it. I hope they don't have a family standing behind them that wants to chime in. But then I come home and I'm back in my own space. It's like, oh, the world is right again. Yeah. So it really, it's really interesting to see that play out. And it's been interesting in the time of COVID because as a five in general, I very much am fine in my head, perfectly condemned being home by myself. But as the choice of having those social interactions was taken away, I've come to realize that maybe I do get some energy off of that or, or a release of all the loneliness in my head versus some of the creative energy that you do get from talking to people. But again, it's going to be one or two other people that I, I'm going to go out with or talk to the deep relationships that you end up developing with. I, I call them like my like-minded people who know me the best. Mm-hmm. So much of what everybody has said is, is resonating, like throwing a million things like aha, you know, a lot of ahas in my, in my brain, but Joel knows, cause we talked about this uh, a couple of years ago. Now we're, we're trying to figure out and dial in on mine. And I was confused by the terms they used. And so I, I think at one point I thought I was actually a social dominant and here's a plug for the, the test that the art of growth developed recently. But uh, I took the test, you know, for the subtypes and it, and it came up self-pres first, was social second. And so that made me think about it. And then and Joel and I had a conversation not too long ago, just talking about it a little bit. And so, and, and then in prepping for this, I think of it and then hearing what you guys have said, the social part of it for me, it resonates, like you said, especially with COVID, I felt the same thing, Dana, that, that was like, I'm fine going out, but I, I want to be able to do that. I don't want somebody to tell me that I, I can't do it. And so I did miss that. The amount of friends that I have is almost exhausting to me on some levels because I can't, there's, I just can't keep up with all of them. So thankfully most of them are, are fine with, you know, whenever they do see me or whenever we do connect, we have a great time and then wait for the next one. But, uh, um, there, there's that part of creativity or that I've becoming more aware lately that without external, without sort of social or friends dragging me along or being part of a group, if I'm just left to my own thing, I tend to just sit still. Like I'm, I'll just be content to roll ideas in my head all day and not go anywhere. I'm more than happy. Like somebody calls me up you know, I'm out the door half the time, unless I have something really planned or I'm, I'm in an energy conservation mode, but I do get energy from that. I think on the social side, I like being there for people, like using what I've resourced, what I know for myself, using that to mm. help others, you know, help yeah. the group. Um, it's definitely not as much on a one-to-one thing as it is you know, a, a sort of a widespread type of thing, looking, looking at the group in, in terms of observing what some needs are there and providing whatever resource I have. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're describing the, and so that's good. This is helpful because for our listeners, you know, we're thinking about reading and interpreting uh, when we're talking about the social instinct and you've talked about being able to read 
you know, you're kind of reading the room, Dave, you're saying, you know, you're looking around, reading body language, that sort of thing. And then uh, the piece of bonding and affiliating, and you have a lot of friends and you're hanging out with them. And, and then the, the contribution piece or the piece that has to do with how can I help? How can I serve? How can I? So all that plus the networking. And, and so that's that's happening. But as you're describing it, yeah, you, you could stay back. That's the habitat that's natural for mm-hmm. us. That's what I'm describing the instinct, the, do, the dominant instinct as is that's your natural habitat. You find it to be normal. That's normal. That's natural. That doesn't feel odd to me. But going out, I can feel it. I can stretch. It's stretching myself a little bit, but I'm comfortable returning back to my natural habitat. So that makes a lot of sense. And this is all exploration. Again, we're learning all about this in, this in terms of ourselves. And we're talking about it as your relationship to the different instincts, as opposed to, are you one? Are you the other? But what's happening there? So let's look at the third. And this is the one that is the neglected or the repressed or the one that causes problems for us. It's one that we don't necessarily like aspects of it. Some of it, it's okay, but it does create some kind of reaction in us. So talk to me about that third one. By the way, it's either that it creates a reaction or you just don't pay attention to it at all. So we're finding that out too, as we're talking to different folks. So talk to me about the uh, third, uh, which one is it for you? And then what problems has it caused you? And how are you growing through it? So those three questions, which one is it? What problems has it caused you? How are you growing through it? My third was the sexual. And when I was reading through it, I kind of wasn't surprised. The aspect of it that I do have is I I do have a tendency to at least internally break habits, break routines, push boundaries, but I'll push the boundaries within the realm of people won't notice. So they think I like to follow the rules all the time. And I was always a person who followed the rules, but I always kind of find these little ways to like push out where I can, more kind of where I can get away with it. Why are you laughing, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel so alone anymore, (laughs) but I don't allow myself to get excited. And I don't know if that's the, I don't want to expose too much to people or if it's the self preservation, Mm. I will never show excitement to people. I will keep that tight. And then I wonder like, well, do I actually feel excited about things? Yeah, I do. But no one's going to know. <laughs> Even my husband, he says, I, I can't tell if you like this or not. And I'm like, I'm still thinking about it. Let me get back to you. <laughs> so I wish I had a little bit more um, willingness to just allow the excitement or allow myself to get lost in things. Because for me, it's very much all of the other things that I have to do are going to come first. The have to's before I allow myself to do the emerging into activities and getting lost in something and letting things actually flow instead of trying to keep control. That's good awareness. Very good awareness. I like the way you worded that. That's indicates, yeah, you're, you're seeing it. You know what that's like, that energy of getting into something, losing yourself into it, less, a little less of the editing of the self. That's what the sexual does. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. Thank you. My third is the social. Some of the ways that I've I was thinking about that it's kind of worked against me is sometimes at, at jobs back you know on campus jobs. <laughs> now that I teach online, the social part is not all that necessary <laughs> with colleagues. I mean, I, I'm still interacting with them, but it's by email, right? So it kind yeah. of fits me really, really well because I'm just here in my house doing this, interacting one on one with whichever. But you know, I can become very invisible in groups. 
and kind of get overlooked for promotions or things like that because I'm good at observing groups from afar. I can tell you how they're working with each other, but not necessarily how I fit into the whole thing. So there is a, a young women's Bible study at our church. It had been going on for years before, you know, prior to COVID and that kind of shut everything down. But it was started by two women who were very outgoing, extroverted, invite all the people. They knew all the people. And so it would grow every year. We'd have new people all the time. And then a few years ago, for some unknown reason, they turned it over to me, the total opposite in every possible way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, gradually that group got a lot smaller. And at first I took that kind of personally. I don't I don't think anybody was mad at me, but the thing is the group, it changed from being more of a fun social sort of group into a deeper study kind of group. And the, I did find that the ones who stayed said, hey, we love it this way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. We've got a smaller group. We're getting to know each other a lot better, but it was reflecting more of my self-pressed sexual type of yeah, yeah, yeah. one-to-one. We're going to get to know each other. So growing groups is something I'm going to have to learn how to do. That's not my natural bent. That's, you know, that social area is not a thing, but it's something I can certainly learn how to do better or, you know, become more parts of other groups. I'm in groups, but they do tend to be smaller. But as far as growing through it, you know, 2020 was a big reminder of how much I do need other people because, you know, there were all those memes at the beginning. Oh, the introverts are going to love this. The fives are going to be the best at doing quarantine. As soon as somebody was telling me I couldn't, then I was like, oh, yes, I am. (laughs) I'm leaving this house. You can't make me stay at home. You know, whether, whereas before I would have said, of course I could stay at home for for a month without leaving. A rebellion part aside, it also did did just remind me of how much I do need the physical interaction with people. We had Zoom meetings. That was okay for a while, but it did not ever take the place fully of just actually meeting together. Yeah. And it was so nice. That, you know, I was so grateful here in Georgia, we weren't shut down for all that long, but it was enough to remind me, oh yeah. This is why it's important for me to keep showing up to these groups, even when I don't feel like it, even when I'd rather just stay at home, it is worth it for me to get out of my comfort zone and go and meet with those people and be around people who aren't exactly like me or have other life experiences so that I can learn from them. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that part about introverts and the memes that were put out there because the exact opposite has been also very true for a lot of folks. So I'm not saying that this has been universally true, but what I have learned and what I've heard from a lot of introverts is they became super aware of just how much they needed to be with other people. While I heard from those who tend to be a bit more, you know, socially connected, liking to be around a lot of people, found that the opposite was good for them. Like, oh, I can pull back. I can spend time by myself. I can develop some of the mm-hmm. neglected, you know, parts of who I am, you know, the neglected instincts. Um, yeah. And so I'm glad you said that. That's a very important. It's a very revealing uh, time period for, I think, most everybody. Yeah. I think it showed us all something that maybe we didn't know about ourselves before. So. Yeah, and I, exactly. And I think if we're listening, you know, as we're listening, we're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lessons. There's a lot of growth for all of us in this. And, um, and so that's been great. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, so much of what Laura and Dana said you know, really makes sense. But particularly, I was thinking 
when Dana mentioned not having excitement, you know, like you've got the excitement on the inside, but expressing it on the outside, hmm. I think that goes for me, for me, the, the struggle with the one-on-one instinct, which is the, the third one for me, is I don't like to risk myself. And when I do, you know, it can look like I don't have a whole lot of enthusiasm for what I'm doing. And really, I'm just I'm in that observing mode. I'm learning. I go into groups thinking of a, of a committee that I you know, really kind of had to force myself on a few years ago. And um, I'm very slow when it comes to committee work, because I, I take a lot of time to kind of get the lay of the land and know what I'm doing. And that looks like I have no passion for it, no interest and all of that. And really, that's not true at all. I've got a lot going on on the inside, but I'm not good at showing it on the outside, even to the point of, you know, maybe I don't say anything for an entire meeting, tons of stuff going through my head. But if I put it out there and I risk it, somebody in that committee may slap it back. And that's a very personal, that's what I don't like about one-on-one relationships, right? You know, and I certainly don't have this thing where, you know, through my charisma, I draw people in because once they're in there, I don't know if I can get rid of them. And that's, that's a <laughs> so this is really a struggle for me. I eventually just resigned from that committee entirely because I felt like, number one, I, I did not feel like they wanted me there. I probably could have overcome that by putting myself out there more, but it was moving too fast for me. Mm. I, I needed time to observe and to see where I would fit best. And that, that wasn't what was happening. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I've found other groups that I have been allowed to, to go at my own pace and um, feel like I'm slowly putting my feet in the water. Well, and I even like the way you're, you're talking about how even risk for you will probably come in the circle of the social instinct. Um, because that tends to be how, and this is what we're learning from all the panels. The second one tends to be the bridge to the third. And so that's how you're describing it, which is really interesting is that that's what's happening for you. And that's great because that creates somewhat of a, a more of a safety around doing the third instinct, right? Whichever one that is for any of us, it's the first and the second need to help you get to get to the third because it's not easy. And so, you know, developing that ability to take risk, it's like, okay, deep breath, let's do this in a group and let's do this with other people and, and see what happens. But if it moves too quickly, yes. Okay. Pull back and get out of that. And, and, and you know, what you described as a feature of, of all head types is that if I'm feeling threatened or if, if this takes a lot of energy from me, I'm going to go to my head. <laughs> You're not going to get a whole lot of hard expression in that moment. That's, that's true for all head types. However, it is very true for fives, right? Because the five tends to be the most head oriented of all the, of all the head type. But yeah, you know, you're describing it very well. Like that's, that's what's going to happen. It's going to be usually the second one that'll help us to get to that. And I appreciate that there's also some variety here because you're not all self-pressed social. Laura, you're self-pressed sexual. And, and so for you, it's going to tend to be, you know, close. So sexual, I describe as that's more close in proximity. And then the sexual is deep in proximity or, you know, and, and, and so then the, and then what happens with the social is wide. And so, you know, if you're, if you're self-pres and then social, it tends to be like near and then a broader group as opposed to like, you know, self-pres to social, it's like near and then deep and right into, you know, the depth of relationship and connection with people. Yeah. I really appreciate 
your thoughts and your insights and uh, what you've contributed here. And I also want to say thank you for your time you've invested in this. I know that takes energy and it takes risk and it takes time. And those are precious. Time is a precious resource to fives. And so I deeply appreciate that and the amount of energy that it takes for you to do this for our community. But we're enriched because of it. And this is a gift that has been given to so many people out there who know fives or who are fives and want to understand them better, particularly self-preservation fives. So deep appreciation to each of you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate each of you. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate being a part of this. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.